Well, as we stand, let me pray together. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15 says, Jesus frees those who all their lives are held in slavery by the fear of death. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which means that death need not be a fear to us. Uh, And we pray that this morning as we think about that big subject of uh, death and of your coming again, uh, that you would encourage us and uh, help us to know how we can face death with confidence. In Jesus' name, Amen. Please do sit. Well, let me encourage you uh, as you sit down to uh, take hold of your Bibles and to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, uh, page 1188 is the page number, as we uh, this week and next week look at 1 Thessalonians, end of 4 and beginning of 5, uh, in the run-up to Christmas, which is really the Advent season, when we're thinking about the return of Christ, uh, rather than his first coming, his second coming. I've, uh, I've been to two funerals this week, one I conducted, the other I attended. At both services we celebrated the lives of Christian men, uh, Harold Clayton and Howell Davis, men who were completely committed to Christ. Uh, There was grieving, uh, as you would imagine. Both men will be missed terribly, uh, mostly by their families, by their wives that they left behind. But at the heart of both services was a confidence that only the Gospel can bring. The confidence that both these men are now with Jesus. What a difference it makes. Uh, someone here said after, after Harold's funeral, it, it was uplifting, inspiring, and it was. Now, my colleague David Middleton, who's been leading the service, attended a funeral on Monday this week. At the end of the service, he got speaking to the person he was sitting next to during the service, and she said these words to him. It's the first Christian funeral I've ever been to. It was amazing. Death is a terrible thing. But when the person who's died is in Christ, funerals are transformed. In Christ, we are encouraged. It's what Paul says here as he writes to the Thessalonians. Look at chapter 4, verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. And then look at the conclusion down in verse 18. The the application of this section, if you like. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other with these words. We read some of those words at the service for Harold Clayton here on Wednesday. And they are magnificently encouraging, aren't they? It's a, a great privilege to do the job that I do. Uh, For me, whenever I take a funeral and doing the job that I do, I do come face to face with death probably more often than most. Whenever I take a funeral, it is a great spur to carry on in the Christian life. Every time that I come face to face with death, I'm reminded starkly of the wonder of the Gospel. I'm reminded of the fact that without Jesus in death, we have nothing. Nothing. Tim Davis, the uh, former associate vicar here. Uh, Tim, who's now leading Christchurch Central in the centre of the city. Tim took the funeral for his own father this week, the, the, the 
the funeral of, of Howell Davis, his dad. As we chatted last week, just after his dad had died, he said to me on the phone, looking into my dad's eyes, a minute after his death, I was looking at absolute finality. A finality that is brutal. But the hope of Christ is marvellous. How can anybody face this without the hope of Christ, he said to me. See, being ready for the brutal finality of death is crucial. But it seems, as we read this passage, that the Thessalonian Christians weren't. Do you hear what I just said? The Thessalonian Christians weren't ready for that day. Oh, they were Christians, and so in the biggest sense, they were ready for death. They were going to be with Jesus forever when they died. But in another sense, they weren't ready at all. They didn't really know what happened at death. And when we don't know what happens at death, even if we're Christian, we won't deal with it as well as we might. So look how Paul writes in verse 13, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. I wonder what's the worst thing anybody's ever called you. The worst thing that anybody's ever called me was when I worked in the newspaper business. A colleague called me a sanctimonious little hypocrite. Now, it hurt, but I reckon I deserved it. I've repented of that, and I hope I'm not that anymore. I'm still little, but hopefully not sanctimonious and hypocritical. Uh, some names really hurt. How about ignoramus? I guess none of us want to be called an ignoramus. In truth, of course, there are all sorts of things that I'm ignorant about and probably that you are too. There are many things I am absolutely clueless about. Quantum physics, clueless. Sumo wrestling, haven't got a clue what's going on with that. The X Factor, haven't got a clue what's going on with that. Uh, Being ignorant about those things doesn't bother me one little bit, but to be an ignoramus about death is really very foolish. Uh, Because we all face it, either our own or those around us. But Christian, we don't need to be ignorant about death. The Bible tells us all we need to know to deal with death. That's what this passage is about. And having been at the funerals of these two fine men this week, I've seen again and again what it, that it, why it matters that we are not ignorant about death. See, in both uh, Harold and Howell's deaths, I've seen the difference it makes when you know what the Bible teaches about death. I look at the widows of these two men and I see two fine Christian women. Oh, they'll miss their husbands so much. Of course they will. But to see them through this pain, well, it's been an inspiration because they're not ignorant about what the Bible teaches about death. Let me tell you pastorally, it is agony when people are not sure about these things. See, when I ask people if they're sure that they know where they're going when they die, people often reply, I hope so. I hope so. Now look, Let me say to you firmly yet kindly, I hope so is just not good enough when it comes to death and where you're going to spend eternity. Eternity is at stake. It's a long time. Don't risk your eternal future on a vague hope so. It's madness. At his uh, father's funeral here on Thursday, uh, in this very room, Tim Davis explained that uh, as his dad had been through a, a, a long illness and had been regularly visited by health visitors who supported him, he was assessed by those who came to him for signs of depression. 
uh, asking him a number of questions. One of the questions the health professionals asked him over the months uh, when they were assessing him for signs of depression is this, are you afraid of death? And every time his dad replied, no, why be afraid of dying? Heaven is home. That's what I'm talking about here. Not just being ready for death because you're a Christian, but being ready for your death and the death of your loved ones by knowing what is going to happen at death. Having that kind of confidence takes all the fear out of dying. It makes all the difference in the world. Don't be an ignoramus about death, says Paul. You don't have to be. That is exactly why he wrote these words. Verse 13, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. You see, when we are not ignorant about death, when we, when we face death, we'll not grieve like men who have no hope, says Paul. Now, don't misunderstand this. Christians still grieve when their loved ones die. Of course we do. We should grieve. Loving relationships are precious and they are so hard to come by. Losing them is agony. We should grieve. Remember uh, in John chapter 11, Jesus wept when he approached Lazarus' grave. Twice we're told in John 11 that Jesus was, this is the phrase, deeply moved in spirit. You can find it in verse 33 and verse 38. Deeply moved. It's that that gut-wrenching feeling that you know only too well if you've been bereaved. The agonising feeling deep in the pit of your stomach. That heartbreaking feeling. Jesus felt that. Which is really remarkable when we remember that Jesus was about to raise Lazarus from the, dead, from the grave. Jesus had the answer to the problem of death. In just a few moments, at Jesus' command, Lazarus would be walking out of the tomb that he just spent the last four days in. Jesus has the answer to the problem of death and yet he weeps and feels the agony of death when he comes face to face with death because death is never good, never good. My grandmother lived till she was 98. Uh, Some people said she had a good innings. Well, yes, she did. But still, we should grieve at death because it is never good. See, death is only in the world because of sin. That's why Jesus felt so gut-wrenched when he came face to face with it. We should always feel that it's not right. Of course we mourn at death, but, verse 13, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Have you been to a hopeless, a hopeless funeral? I have. I've taken funerals of people who have no Christian understanding whatsoever. You've probably seen this. It is so distressing watching people as their hearts are breaking, as they stare into the abyss, as they have nothing, no words, nothing to help them, just the overwhelming finality of nothingness. At those times, people sort of grasp at straws. They, They trot out empty platitudes. Well, Vicar is in a better place now. But they don't really believe it. They have no reason to believe that there is a better place or that their loved one is actually there. Their plight is literally hopeless. But for the Christian, verse 13, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Hope in the Bible is actually a very strong word. It's a very weak word for us, isn't it? Not least of all this time of year. People are hoping for all sorts of things for Christmas, hopes that will never come 
to anything. Just the other day I got out my old Skeletrix set for my children to play with. Just last weekend, as I set it up, I discovered that one of the cars has gone kaput. So I, since that day, last Saturday, have been hoping for a new Skeletrix car for Christmas. But the hope of me actually getting one is not even slim, it's non-existent. See, the way we use the word hope today, it's vague, it has no substance, but hope in the Bible, it is, uh, it is actually confidence. We grieve then as people with confidence. And indeed, the way Paul writes here in verse 13 demonstrates our confidence. You see verse 13? Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Isn't that a lovely word? See, for the Christian, death is, is just like falling asleep. Remember the incident in Mark chapter 5 when Jairus' daughter had died. Uh, Jesus arrived at the home and, and the wake had already begun outside the home. Jesus was greeted by, by wailing women, probably professional mourners. Boy, were they wailing. And amongst all the commotion, Jesus said, the child is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him. They knew she was dead. But he went into the room where she was laid out and he said, Talitha Coom, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the little girl got up. Do you see the point? It's as easy for Jesus to raise someone from the dead as it is for us to rouse someone from their slumber. For the Christian, closing our eyes in death is like closing our eyes in bed at night. Simple as that. In fact, the word cemetery is derived from the Greek word for sleeping place. Christians who die have fallen asleep. Nothing worse than that. That's how the Bible sees it. And why do we have such confidence? Well, look, it's based on something very solid. This is the key point. This, if you remember nothing else, remember this. Verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. Do you see the pattern? Jesus died and rose again, and so those in Christ will die and rise again. Somebody told me years ago, and I love this picture, it's like a needle and a thread. That when a thread is connected to a needle, everywhere the needle goes, the thread follows, doesn't it? We are in Christ, connected to Jesus. Then everywhere he goes, we go. We will follow. Jesus died and rose again, verse 14. When we die, we will rise again. And so our confidence, you see, in death is founded on something solid and certain. Not a vague hope, confidence. Our confidence comes in the historical fact of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If I am joined to him, I will be raised too, for he died and rose, so I will too. And incidentally, as an aside, this is why it is so wicked when clergymen stand in Christian pulpits and declare that Jesus was not bodily raised from the dead. It is wicked because it robs us of all our confidence of life after death. See, having that confidence that Jesus died and rose again, that we will too, makes all the difference in the world at death. My friend and, and former colleague, Rico Tice, tells how shortly after he was ordained, he visited a good friend of his, of his who was dying of cancer. His friend's name was Stuart. Uh, knowing he was dying, uh, Stuart had asked Rico to take his funeral. Rico had not been ordained long. As Rico sat there at his bedside without uh, thinking, he, almost without thinking, he said, Stuart, what's it like to die? He says he felt such a fool asking the question. It almost just came out without him thinking about it. He couldn't believe he'd said it. 
But the answer that his friend Stuart gave him has stayed with him ever since. Stuart said, Rico, Christ rose from the dead. Stuart, what's it like to die? Rico, Christ rose from the dead. There's our confidence. And we should encourage each other with those words. See that in verse 18? Now, on Thursday, I was uh, talking to Tim Davis just after he'd buried his, his own father. We were over in the church centre. And he talked of this very passage. And referring to verse 18, he said, Paul, we should keep telling each other these things. We're told to encourage each other with these words. We have confidence in death. Jesus rose from the dead. What a difference that makes. And so that we're not ignoramuses, so that we can encourage one another, Paul gives us some detail in what that resurrection looks like in verses 15 to 17. So look at verse 15. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are, st- who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. You see, we we do need to be told what happens at death because we can't see that. That stuff that I've just read in verses 15 to 17, you and I can't see it. When somebody dies, all that we're left with is a body. If ever you've been at someone's bedside when they've died, you'll know that it's very quickly very obvious that all that is left is a body. But still, left to ourselves, we have no idea about any details other than that. A body, that's all you're left with. Unless things are explained to you, you have no confidence at all in what happens after that. It came home to me a couple of years ago when Caroline, my wife's dad, died two years ago. Uh, He was living in New Zealand, so she went off to New Zealand. We thought as a family whether we'd all go, but Joshua was just about to start school and one way and another we thought it was best that I stay behind with the children and she went off um, uh, to be with her brother and, uh, of course, to bury her father. I was at home with the children. We told them that Grandpa was now with Jesus in heaven. Um, uh, Caroline's dad was a Christian believer, so we had total confidence of that. Uh, The children didn't question it until the day of the funeral. Before putting the children to bed, I was uh, reading the Bible and saying prayers with the children as we do. And um, as Caroline was 12 hours ahead of us, I said, now, uh, we need to pray for Mummy and Uncle Keith as they go to Grandpa's funeral today. And one of the children asked me, what will happen at the funeral? And I said something like this, well, there'll be a service in church and then they'll go to a graveyard and they'll put Grandpa's body in the ground. And at that very moment, Joshua, our youngest, who was four at the time, he leapt off the sofa and he turned round and he looked at me and the two girls who were either side of me and he said, what do you mean they'll put Grandpa in the ground? You said he was in heaven with Jesus. It's confusing, isn't it? Don't you just love the children, the way they ask these questions? Especially at eight o'clock at night when they're supposed to be in bed. But you see, that's kind of what the issue is here. We say that the Christian has gone to be with Jesus when they die, but there's the body, and all we can see is the body. How do we know? That actually is what the Thessalonians were worried about. You see, in this letter, Paul writes much about the return of Christ. An interesting fact about this letter is that every chapter ends with the return of Christ. So Paul's written often about it. 
And so the Thessalonians were looking forward to that day of Jesus' return and they thought that maybe their Christian friends and family who died had missed out. They've died before Jesus came back. They thought that Jesus was going to come back soon and he hasn't come back and now they've died. Are they missing out? Are they going to miss out? At the funeral as they lowered the the body into the ground or whatever they did in those days, they wondered what had happened to these people. That's why Paul wrote verses 15 to 17. Uh, Now, verses 15 to 17 are the detailed theological bits and at this point some of you will say, "I'm I'm going to switch off. Please don't switch off. Because this is exactly why Paul has written. He says, I want you to know exactly what happens at death so that when you face it, you can have confidence. Now look, some people take from these verses a theological position that is known as soul sleep. Now, uh, we're going to have a a PowerPoint up here to try and help us. Look at the end of verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ. Now, you see, it seems to suggest soul sleep. Now, let me just help you orientate yourself with this, uh, with this PowerPoint, if you can see it. It's just a simple timeline. Adam, Abraham, David, key points in the Old Testament, then the, the cross, Jesus, uh, Jesus' resurrection, uh, us where we are now, and then the return of Christ. Let me uh, tell you, by the way, don't please think that I believe that Jesus is not going to return from another, for another 2,000 years based on that timeline. I don't know when he's going to come back. The Bible's very clear. I don't want any theological heresy going around. The vicar thinks that Jesus is coming back in the year 4000. I've seen his timeline. None of that. It's just that I've got to put it somewhere. It could be today. It could be in 4000 years time. We're just saying it's coming somewhere. Phew, got that over with. Well done. There's the timeline. You've got that clear in your mind. Now very simply, the soul sleep position is that when a Christian dies, they are then asleep in the ground until Jesus returns. Uh, The Christian believer is asleep in the ground and the next thing they will know after death is being raised up on the last day with Christ. So Christ comes back and then they are raised up. One more click of the button please, Trevor. Thank you very much. Now there are many fine Christian people who hold that position. Uh, So I'm not going to rubbish it at all. But I'm not convinced that's what the Bible teaches. I'm not convinced from this passage or from other passages in the Bible. Think of the words of, uh, of Jesus to the thief on the cross. Do you remember Luke chapter 23, verse 40, 43? He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today. You see? You're going to die today. You're going to be with me today. I think of uh, Paul's words in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 to 24. You can turn them up if you like to. There's no need to. We're not going to dwell on it. Listen to these words. He said, For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. See Paul's conundrum. There was important gospel work to be done here on earth. I've got to remain and, and do that. But I want to go and be with Jesus. Of course you do. Every Christian should want to be with Jesus. So he said, I desire to, be, to depart and be with Christ better by far. Now, I can't believe Paul would have said that, that he wanted to depart and be with Christ if he thought that dying meant lying in the ground until resurrection morning. He'd have rather stayed here and got on with church planting, wouldn't he? 
Now, these passages don't support the soul sleep position, I believe, but never mind those passages. The passage before us is, I think, very clear on this. Look at verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will, notice this phrase, bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. I think that's the crucial phrase. Do you see it? God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep. And so I think this is really what happens. As Jesus returns down through the clouds in all his glory, he will bring with him those who've died as Christians. So at death, we go to be with Jesus. See, that's verse 14. And our bodies are laid in the ground. Bodies stay in the ground until judgment day. And when Jesus returns, verse 16, he will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Do you see there? The dead in Christ rise. Do you see how it happens? We go and be with Jesus. Jesus comes down. He is bringing with him those who've died. And at that point, their body is raised up. They are bodily resurrected at that point. Body joined together with them again. And then, verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and who will be, ca- will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so there's us going up as well, joining Jesus in the air. And we'll, at that point we'll be changed, made perfect, given our resurrection bodies, all of us. And that will happen in the flash, in the, in the twinkling of an eye, we're told, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52. And then we who are in Christ, all who are in Christ, will be taken to the new creation, in the new heavens and the new earth, to be with Jesus forever. Now, does all that matter? Yes, of course it matters. That is exactly why it is written. It's written to encourage us, verse 18, and especially to assure us that our loved ones who are Christians who've died are not missing out. They're not just sort of nowhere. See verse 15? According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. Far from missing out, they are with Jesus. Better by far. See, knowing the details of what happens after death is wonderfully helpful. Not just to inform our minds, but to transform us when we have to deal with death. And this week I have seen firsthand what a difference it makes when you understand these things. The Clayton family and the Davis family have been able to grieve with hope, with confidence. What a difference that has been this week. Paul says, don't be an ignoramus when it comes to these things. Learn these things. Think about these things. Be sure of these things. The Lord has told you the details of what happens at death. Sometimes people say, I've just got a simple faith. Don't confuse me. Friends, a simple faith at death isn't good enough. I mean, it is. It will get you saved, but it's much better to have this sorted in your mind because it's not so complicated that you can't understand it. Have it clear in your mind. The Lord wants you to know about these things so you can face death with Christian confidence. Do you see? And friends, we should speak often of these things. That's verse 18. Encourage each other with these things. Because being sure of these things not only helps us through death, it also strengthens us in life, does it not? Knowing this gives us confidence to be wholehearted in following Jesus now. If I'm uncertain about what's going to happen at death and whether I'm really going to be saved and all sorts of things, I will never be wholehearted for Jesus. But he has the answer to the last great enemy, death. 
And so every day when you've got these things clear, you know that in Christ, ultimately, everything's okay. As I close, uh, for those of you who are not sure of these things, let me say gently but firmly, don't put it off any longer. Eternity matters. It is a very long time. Please will you speak to me afterwards. I asked this at uh, the 9.15 service and one or two did. All you have to say to me is, I'm not sure. Just say, I'm not sure, and then we'll find a time when we can talk. You see, don't be embarrassed about it. Let's get it sorted. At uh, the service for Howell Davis on Thursday, Tim Davis, his son, was, was speaking, leading the service. He was standing there right next to the coffin. And uh, he told how his dad, his dad had been a bishop in, uh, in Africa. Um, his, uh, his dad then had come home and served in local churches. And he talked about one all-age talk that his dad gave, Bishop Harold Davis. An all-age talk based on road signs. I think I'm going to do it myself one day. Uh, but here's a sneak preview. And uh, one of the road signs was the yellow hatch. You know the yellow hatch on the road at crossroads? And he said, uh, you know what that indicates? Don't enter the box until the exit is clear. You're not supposed to go across and stay until you can get right through. And then he said, this is at an all-age service, children a lot. And then he said, his dad, Howell, had borrowed a coffin from the undertaker. And at that point, he wheeled it on. And he said, don't enter the box until the exit is clear. And Tim said this at Howell's service. And he pointed to the, to the coffin where his dad was in. He said, don't enter the box until the exit is clear. My dad entered this box knowing where he was going. Friends, that's what I'm saying to you now. Don't enter the box until the exit is clear, until you know where you're going. Don't enter the box. Don't enter the box until you know the exit is clear. Don't do it. It's too costly. Do you know where you're going? Do you know how to get there? If there's any uncertainty, speak to me today. All you have to say is, I'm not sure. And we'll arrange a time to chat. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you very much that you are such a gracious God who tells us in advance the things we need to know. We thank you that we're not left in the dark when it comes to the things of death. We thank you for the great confidence that we can have in Christ, the one who died and rose again. And so in him we too will die and rise again. We thank you very much for this uh, great passage which gives us some of the crucial details, which means that we can face death with confidence. We pray that for ourselves and uh, for those we know and love, that we would be firstly in Christ and then secondly be sure of these things, which make such a difference in death and in life. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for your praise and glory. Amen.